Well, I'm, I'm doing a little intro first, right? I think that's I think that's the plan. All right, okay, Brandon, we're going to start. <laughs> we're going to start now. Brandon knows how we how we are with the uh, when we're doing snippets. We'd have to do a few takes. Um, well, before we start the sermon today, I just wanted to just uh, say hello to our church family, and um, just. I'll let you know that we're praying for you. We're available for you for prayer. You can just um, um, text our elders, and uh, we are praying. We're thankful that God has been touching people's lives. We're thankful for the news of Tatiana's sister, Olga, that's uh, got out of the hospital and come home and is doing well. And we continue to pray for Galen with his pneumonia. Um, I've been praying for my friend Richard and his friend, over in Ireland, and uh, we just want to keep praying, and we, we're here to pray for you. And so um, we're going to be doing this kind of service until uh, we're released from this coronavirus. I just want to say thank you very much, uh, though, for your, for your prayers. I also thank you for your support, uh, your financial, sending in your financial support. Kelvin's able to pay the bills, and we're grateful for that. Um, so anyway, we're here today. It's Palm Sunday, and we're going to go into the message And we're going to look at the contrast between the passionate uh, movements of Christ and the the contrast between Christ and the people that were cheering him on and also the religious rulers of the day that were there. So I hope that um, you can glean something from today's message. Look forward to Good Friday. Without Friday, there is no Sunday. And so uh, just God bless you as we look at this message today. Let's just, um, let's just take a moment of, uh, of prayer for the sermon this morning. Father, in the name of Jesus, I just pray, Father, um, that your Holy Spirit would lead and guide the things that I've been preparing. Lord, I know you've been speaking to me. You've been preparing me, preparing my heart. I thank you for last week for our uh, dear brother, Tim, who brought a message on uh, Walking in the Spirit, I pray, Father, that was, has been used for you and ministering to us as a church family and enabling us to grow closer to you and also walk in the Spirit. Father, I just pray that as we consider 2,000 years ago uh, when Jesus um, was heading, making his way to Jerusalem, we consider that day when palm branches were laid out and the people were cheering on. They were looking for this, for this king to come into Jerusalem and uh, Father, I just ask that um, we'd be able to understand the spiritual uh, things that were going on and then even examine our own hearts and find out where we're at and, and where, how we might uh, contrast uh, with the people and with the religious rulers and with Christ. And for, so, Father, just anoint this time, anoint this message. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Listen, let me read the scriptures. I'd always sign a, it kind of helps me uh, just to get uh, focused too, even though I've been reading it, studying it, meditating on, soaking in it. Um, just to read it out, it's important to read the verses. And I'm going to look, I, I like to look at the, the, this account in, in Luke. And, um, but let me read it first, and then we'll talk, we'll talk about what God has put on my heart for you. So this is Luke chapter 19, starting in verse 28, where he's been teaching. And, and then he says, after Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. 
As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Tell him the Lord needs it. Now that's kind of a strange thing if you, if, if you were the colt owner and uh, you saw these fellows coming and taking your colt and they just said, well, the Lord needs it. Um, that's exactly what happened. So those who were there, uh, sent a, th- those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? <laughs> That's what you'd ask, wouldn't you? I would. And they replied, the Lord needs it. End of story. They start walking away with the colt. And they brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. This is a colt that has never been ridden. doesn't throw him off. It, it reminds me... It reminds me it, when we grew, raised our children in northwest Montana and our youngest son, Tom, was outside in the yard and he came in and he was just a little boy. And, and what, what have you been doing, Tom? He said, oh, I was just out there petting a deer. And we're like, no, you weren't out there petting a deer. But he was. He was out petting a deer, a wild deer. A childlike, a childlike faith, a childlikeness. This was Christ. This was his spirit. And he jumped on that colt, and he began to ride in to Jerusalem. And as he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. And when he came near the place where the road goes down, the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Now, some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, Jesus replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. And then as he approached Jerusalem, remember we've been looking now the last three weeks at this journey of Jesus to Jerusalem, where we started out where he resolutely set his face to go to Jerusalem in Luke chapter 9. And then last week on Facebook, brought a message where in Luke chapter 12, where Jesus is going along teaching and all of a sudden, bursting out of his heart, is this idea that he needed to get to Jerusalem because he had a baptism to be baptized in. And he just, out of his heart came this, how straightened I am, how hampered, how hindered, how I'm, I'm restricted until I am baptized in this baptism. And so here he is now looking, he's finally made it to Jerusalem. He's on this colt of a donkey riding in, much like a king would ride in in victory in, in the old days, in the biblical days. And now he's approaching Jerusalem. He's finally going to set his eyes on Jerusalem, in which he resolutely set out to do. And he says this, he says, as he approached Jerusalem and he saw the city, he wept over it. Now, I want you to get an idea here. This is a NIV Bible, and it says he saw the city. 
We've talked about this before. Those of you who have heard me bring a message on this passage before is that in the King James, it uses the word, he beheld the city. In the original language, it's, it's talking there about how he didn't just see the city. Remember when we've talked in the past about when he in-looked Peter, when Peter was denying him, the rooster had crowed, and when it crowed, he denied him three times, and Jesus looked at him. He didn't just look at him. He beheld him. He looked in-looked Peter. This is, he's, he's, he's beholding the city. He's seeing into the city. He's seeing past the city. He's seeing bef- life before the city. He's seeing all the history of Jerusalem. And as he sees all this and he sees the future, <coughs> he weeps over it. And uh, we'll talk more about what that is later in the, in, the set, in the message. So then he says this, if you, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. That's what he's weeping over. We know from history and studying the uh, the Jewish historian Josephus, that Jerusalem was invaded. An embankment was built up against Jerusalem. They were, they were children and families just slain. The whole of Jerusalem, there wasn't a stone unturned. They, they just flattened and demolished it. This was a prophetic statement. Why? Because they didn't recognize the time of God's coming to them. And then he entered the temple area and began driving out those who were selling It is written, he said to them, that my house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. And then every day he was teaching at the temple, but the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the leaders among the people were trying to kill him, yet they could not find any way to do it because all the people hung on his words. So there's the story. This is just Luke's account of the entrance of Jesus into Jerusalem. Luke is the only one that has this statement of, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. What would bring you peace? Now it's hidden from your eyes. Well, I said we were going to look at the contrast. We're going to contrast the, uh, and the, the, between the praises of the people and the pleading of the people Contrasting that with the pleading and the plotting of the Pharisees. And then we're going to look at Jesus and where he was at, where the the passion of Christ. This is called now from Palm Sunday to Easter Sunday, Passion Week. And so this contrast, and I want you to get a hold of this. Here are the people now, who were these people? Well, first of all, can you imagine? He's just been, he's been making his way since he was resolutely set out to go to Jerusalem, from Galilee to Jerusalem, and people have been healed along the way. So in that crowd, I'm suggesting to you, and you study this yourself, but I'm suggesting to you that in that crowd, laying down cloaks 
and shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, save, save, are lame men, blind men, men that were healed. Lazarus, who was just raised from the dead, there was blind, probably blind uh, Bartimaeus, and maybe the blind man from Bethsaida. There was possibly little children who we had just sat down and said, let the little children come to me. So amongst, amongst these people that were laying down cloaks were whole families, children, adults. There was maybe the healed boy that was healed from having an evil spirit. And maybe his family just like amazed that the boy was free of this evil spirit. And is it possible that there were the lepers that were healed? that were there. Not all of them came back to Jesus after he healed them. But were they all there at this celebration? We don't know. But we can imagine that they were there, and they were excited, and they were said because they'd seen all the miracles that he had done. And the miracles were walking along with them. They were the ones that were participating in this. And so these were the people that were praising the Lord praising him, and then pleading with him. The word Hosanna means save. It means save. It means save now. It means, oh, salvation is, is, is here. Blessed is the coming kingdom. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Mark says this in Mark chapter 11, when it says those who went ahead and those who followed shouted Hosanna. That was, that was their pleading. They were pleading, save us, Lord, save us. They were imagining that he was coming into the Jerusalem, and they were going to hail him as like King David, and he was going to become their king. That's what they were cheering on. Well, Christ knew there was something different going to happen, but they pled with him, and they praised him, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord is the praise. But then there's these religious leaders and they were pleading with him as these people that were healed and so excited, they were pleading with Jesus. Tell, rebuke your disciples. Stop this nonsense. And Jesus says, hey, if, they, if I tell them to stop, even the stones are going to cry out. But the religious leaders didn't like it. They didn't like Jesus being praised. They didn't like to hear people pleading to him, save us. They didn't like to hear him being praised, blessed be the Lord, blessed is the Lord. They didn't like to hear that. And they were plotting. They were plotting in several scriptures, and you can do this yourself, you can look, and there's, there's numerous scriptures, this plotting that these disciples were doing, this contrast between the people and their praises and their pleading, and now the religious leaders pleading and their plotting. They were in Luke 6, 2, for example, it says they were looking for a, a reason to accuse Jesus. In, in, in Luke eleven fifty three, 53, it says they, were, they began to oppose him fiercely, and they were waiting to catch him in something that he might say. 
And when Jesus challenged the Pharisees and the religious leaders, they began to sneer at him. This is the scene. This is the scene in, in, on Palm Sunday. Jesus going in, finally getting there, finally going, but he knew, even at this point riding in on the colt of a donkey, that he still had a baptism to be baptized in. That hadn't happened yet. The people didn't even know and understand what was going to happen. They were saying, here's the king. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Oh, Lord, save now. Bring salvation now. Well, Jesus had a different plan. So yes, the contrast. So there's our Lord. He knew all this. And he comes over that hill and he finally sees the city. And he says, if you, even you, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it's hidden from your eyes. What was his passion? The passion of Christ. I tell you what, he, his passion moved him persistently forward. That was why he was so resolute. The passion of Christ moved him persistently forward to face Jerusalem, to go see it, to to head into into the place where he was going to have this baptism, this crucifixion, so that he could have the resurrection. He knew it was going to have to happen. He moved persistently. He moved passionately. He moved prayerfully. Everything he did, he did with tremendous passion. Tremendous passion. I, I uh, you know, when we think of passion, I was just doing a little research on that. And we think sometimes passionate, you know, I'm passionate about my job. I'm passionate, uh, you know, about a, a sport that I play. I was passionate when I played basketball. And I, I, I worked out hard every day. I traveled miles. I, I put my whole heart and soul into it. But passion, passion, the way we can should understand it from Jesus is a willingness to suffer for what you love. Well, you could say that you're suffering when you're training. You're suffering when you're working out because you, your body just wants to give up, but you keep going. That this is an even deeper passion. No, None of us, you know, we're not looking to die he, he's so passionate, this passionate willingness to suffer for what he loves is us. And he loves us so much, he's willing to die for us. And so when he comes over this, over this hill and he finally sees Jerusalem and sees the beginning of Jerusalem, all the history of Jerusalem, the building of its original temple, the prayers that they prayed in that temple saying, this is going to be a place of prayer. And then that got flattened. And then the new temple was built. And, and walls were built around it that we've been looking at in Nehemiah. And he already saw that. And now he's saying, because you don't recognize the time of my coming, this is going to be flattened. And it was 70 years later. Why? Because you didn't recognize the time of my coming to you. You're thinking I'm coming in to be King David. I'm coming in to be a crucified king. My kingship comes when I'm crucified. That's the baptism I need to be baptized in. And I'm limited and straightened and restricted until that happens. I can't give you life 
until I've given my life. And that's what he's so passionate about, a willingness to suffer for what he loves. And he loves us. He loves Jerusalem. There's going to be a new Jerusalem, the Bible tells us, coming out of heaven and settling down. And he's seeing that because he sees the beginning and he sees the end. But he was also moved and passionately prayerful. When he, when he shouted this out, I want to suggest to you that this is a, a heartburst of prayer. It was a heartburst of prayer. There's no mention in here of things stopping and things looking around. What happened to Jesus? Because this kind of weeping, this kind of weeping wasn't just a few tears that you see in a movie or someone's tears that they're trying to fake before you. This was a deep wailing. I was talking to my friend Gary the other day on Friday, and I was saying, Gary, what's been your insights in this over the over the 60 years of you preaching, over 60 years of preaching the gospel. And he said, I did a word study on this when he wept. And it was a deep wailing. It was, he, it was a groaning, a deep groaning. It was, a, it was overwrought with the, for, for the passion in his heart for us. It didn't seem to, nobody said, look at him crying, look at him weeping. So in the midst of that, that's, what he, that's the kind of passion that he had. Oh, I'm glad he had it, though, because that's what brings us life. That's what brings us life and life to the full. Now, as we look at this contrasting, the praises and the pleading of the people, I mean, I don't know about you, but yeah, I'm, I'm praising the Lord now in this day and age. But I'm also pleading with him to bring answers to the various prayers we've been praying for people's sicknesses. And right now for the whole world, it's, it's crazy with this, with this virus that's going around. The whole globe is getting shut down. But Jesus knows that too. And Jesus says, that's, a, that's something that, yes, you've got to deal with. But you know what he's concerned about? He want, he's weeping over our hearts. He's, he's praying over us and saying, if you, even you. Now, who's the even you? And when he looked at this, he was looking at Jerusalem and his chosen people. When we look at it, this, he's looking at us. Those he's, those, those he's called to him, those that know him, those that have said we're believers. But do we really know? Do we really know the peace that's beyond all understanding? And he says, it's hidden from your eyes. Until when? Until you come to him completely, fully, and experience the baptism like we talked last week. The baptism of death so that we can have the fullness of life and be baptized in his spirit and have a life in the full. The enemy comes to rob and steal and kill and destroy. Those are the religious leaders of the day they just want to rob and kill and steal the joy of the Lord from you. And Christ says, I died for that. I died that you're not going to live like that. You're going to, you're, going to, you're going to receive my fullness when you come to me. And Jesus loves you. He loves me. He's, 
But there's a fierce opposition, just like the Pharisees fiercely opposed Jesus. There's an enemy that fiercely opposes his life. But we have a God that overcame him. And we have a Holy Spirit that says we can be overcomers. There's no weapon fashioned or formed against us that can stand when we lean into Christ. That's what he wants us to do. Have you done that even in this time right now? Have you, have you given your life to Christ? Have you come to him, bowed your knee to him? Do you recognize that he's crying and weeping over you? You want him to be king in your life? And see him as a Lord that loves you, loves you so much that he died for you. See, when he got to the city hill there and he looked over it, yes, they expected a king. Can you imagine the shock when they saw him coming out of the city several days later, carrying a cross, couldn't even carry it, had to have a help carrying it, took him outside the city, laid him on the cross, put nails in his hands and in his feet, and raised him up. And all those people that were passionate and, and praising him, where were they? They were all gone, including his disciples. And as he rode in and he wept, he knew that. So Christ knows us, he knows you, he knows me. And he knows that we will turn away from him because we're human. And we can be very fickle in our relationship. But no matter how fickle we are, no matter how or when we might fall away, he is still that persistent Christ. He is still moves persistently toward you. He still moves with passion toward you because he's given his life for you and he's going to keep holding out his life for you because he has life for you. And he's always prayerful toward you. He's always interceding for you. The Bible tells us he's at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us on a daily basis. I'm encouraged by that. I'm encouraged by Palm Sunday. I might lay out the palm branches. I might lay my cloak down for him to walk over because he is my king but he's only my king and the king of kings and the Lord of lords when I meet him at the cross. And then as we said last week, the question was, have you passed the cross of Calvary and are you living on the heaven side? You come to that place when you give your life to Christ. He's holding out his nail-pierced hands and he loves you with the same love that he loved, that he showed, demonstrated over Jerusalem. Father, in the name of Jesus, I just pray that today's message would be encouraging. I pray that, um, Father, that, that each of us would start to examine our own heart and see where the contrast is between our praises of him and our pleading of him, and, but our understanding of the deep passion that he has for us. And then I pray, Father, as we as, 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 as believers in Christ, when we recognize what he's done for us, that we would then be those pleaders and those persistent prayer warriors to move upon our city, move upon the places where we live, and bring the gospel to people 
that don't know, don't know Christ, that were like it's recorded in the Gospel of Mark when Jesus went into the temple. People in there said, who is this? And the people said, it's Jesus of Nazareth. There are people in our community that don't even know who Jesus is. And I pray that those of us that will come to Christ, give our life to Christ, lean on Christ, Father, would plead, would plead and weep over our city and over our families and over our friends that don't know you, that they might come to know the tremendous love that Christ had, a willingness to suffer for the world that he loves. And thank you, Lord Jesus, for giving your life to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.